This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Las Vegas. And I'm Kellen Walker, also in Las Vegas. Today on the show, a look at how the Detroit Three have weathered the financial chaos of the UAW strike. Hyundai and Kia edge up in October sales, and dealer registration opens for the EV tax credit portal. Plus, we'll look at how Israel's many auto tech startups are trying to adjust to war. I think it is by every means our responsibility to make sure that the ship is steady. One for our investors, of course, but also for ourselves. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Early indications suggest that gains won by the UAW's 146,000 members that work for the Detroit Three will not be as much of a blow to Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors as early rhetoric suggested. The Detroit Three has seen combined losses of about $2.9 billion due to the UAW strike. The question remains whether they can thrive under the contract terms. While the agreement's 25% wage increase, Restoration of cost of living allowances and other benefits will add $850 to $900 to the cost of every vehicle Ford builds. The company said it expects to find efficiencies to offset the higher labor costs. GM and Stellantis will likely do the same. U.S. sales at Hyundai and Kia edged up in October for the 15th consecutive month. Sales were aided by growing inventories and discounts, as well as fleet deliveries. Hyundai said deliveries rose about a third of a percent to more than 60,000 last month. In a sign, the market continues to become more competitive. Hyundai's October retail sales fell 7% to about 54,000. Hyundai Motor America CEO Randy Parker says the company's winter sales promotions supported by strong marketing start today. The U.S. Treasury Department and IRS have opened registration for car dealers to ultimately receive direct payments for transferred electric vehicle tax credits when the option becomes available to consumers next year. Dealers must be registered via the new website called IRS Energy Credits Online for their customers to claim or transfer federal tax credits and use those funds as a down payment for eligible new and used EV purchases. The credit transfer is allowed under the Inflation Reduction Act for both new and used EVs, providing consumers with up to $7,500 for new vehicles and $4,000 for used EVs if certain requirements are met. And Tesla has won the first U.S. trial over allegations that its autopilot driver assistant feature led to a death. It's a major victory for the automaker as it faces several other similar lawsuits across the country. The case in a California state court was filed by two passengers in a 2019 crash who accused the company of knowing autopilot was defective when it sold the car. Tesla argued human error caused the crash. The 12-member jury Tuesday announced they found the vehicle did not have a manufacturing defect. The verdict came on the fourth day of deliberations, and the vote was 9-3. to And those are today's headlines. Jamie. Tesla won its first trial over allegations of their autopilot feature that led to a death. 
Do you think Tesla winning this case is a big deal? It seems like it. You know, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but, you know, this seems like an important win for them given the number of cases they have coming up. But maybe, you know, the way the case was framed, if it's a matter of, you know, did the software, did the hardware not work as it was designed, is maybe a different question than what some of the other cases are really about. It's not that autopilot doesn't do what it says it does or that full self-driving doesn't assist drivers in the way that it says it does. Uh, the bigger concern in some of the cases is that consumers hear those names and despite the company's warnings, assume that it is a full self-driving system, that they don't have to pay attention, that the car will drive itself when it won't. And uh, and that's kind of the, that's the stickier issue. We'll see how that plays out in the other cases. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll hear how Israeli auto tech companies are dealing with the challenges and stress of war. That's next on Daily Drive. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lane, GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. With Israel embroiled in its biggest war in 50 years, the country's burgeoning automotive technology community is dealing with thousands of employees called into military service while still managing business timelines and commitments. Automotive news reporters Molly Boygon and Mark Holmer have been reporting about this story for us, and they spoke with our own Jake Neer. Molly Boygon, tech and innovation reporter for Automotive News. Welcome back to Daily Drive. 
Thanks for having me, Jake. And Mark Holmer, covering dealers and retail technology for us at Automotive News. Mark, also great to have you back on Daily Drive as well. Yeah, thank you. So Molly, as your team on the tech and innovation side has written in the pages of Automotive News since before the war started, Israel has, I'd say, sort of a surprisingly large automotive tech sector, especially tech startups. Talk a little bit about why that is and what that looks like. Yes, that's exactly right. So Israel has increasingly played a large role in the startup scene. It's sometimes called startup nation. Um, Israeli startups contribute something like 18% to the total GDP of the country, which, you know, comparing that to the US, American tech companies contribute about 10% of our GDP. So it's really a sort of outsized influence that Israeli startups have on the Israeli economy. And when you talk to Israelis about this, they attribute that to this sort of entrepreneurial spirit and resilience of, of the kind of Israeli culture. And, um, you know, as as that reputation has grown, it sort of beget more investment and more growth in the startup scene. And um, a sizable chunk of that is automotive tech. So it's not clear exactly what share of the Israeli tech startup scene is comprised of automotive tech, but Ecomotion, which is a sort of professional association for automotive tech companies in Israel, has more than 600 companies in its membership. So it's at least that many companies, and it sort of looms large in the Israeli tech scene. And this is also sort of a critical time for those companies as well. Is that right? Yes. In Israel, as in other countries, there's a lot of investment and interest in electric vehicle tech and driver assist tech. And that's, you know, partly due to incentives. That's partly due to just sort of general hype. And, um, you know, this is a time when Israeli startups really need to prove themselves, continue to raise capital and differentiate in an increasingly competitive market. You write that on the phone calls and video chats you've had with folks over in Israel, they sounded weary but determined. Mark, you spoke with Aharon Horwitz, the CEO of Fullpath in Jerusalem, which has a customer data and experience platform. Let's listen to a clip from your conversation about how he's dealing on a personal level with the situation while also trying to keep his business running. For me, it's like living in a split screen. So I can like, you know, be working on a customer deck and not a customer call. And yet there's another screen in my brain that's running, wondering what's happening with everyone in the South, wondering, you know, uh, are my kids, what are they up to? Are they with my wife? So that if there's a siren, my daughter for basically 10 hours would not leave a chair. She just sat on a chair by the door because she was afraid, you know, so afraid of the rocket, she was going to have to run out and we couldn't convince her to get off the chair. You know, so you run with a split screen in your head. So, Mark, talk a little bit more about what Horowitz had to say while you were speaking with him about the situation and how he's trying to adapt. Well, he was a a very calm and determined person, like you have to be in times of crisis. Uh, This guy runs a company and he's got to keep things going, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of his employees. But he also lives in a very delicate part of the country and he's experiencing a lot of these things firsthand. So I think the split screen metaphor is apt. Uh, you know, one part of his brain has to focus on keeping the trains running. The other part wonders about his family because places that would have been safe are no longer safe. So he has to think and wonder and plan. So it's juggling work, but also worries about life that, that are much more existential than they probably have been in a while. And that's no easy feat. 
And he said that he has more than a dozen of his employees that have been called up to service in this war. Also, spouses uh, that are also being called up as well, which makes it even tougher, right? Because there's no school right now uh, where they are. And it also means that they have these family obligations while their spouse is uh, now in military service. So how is his company and other companies trying to deal with that right now? Well, what he's doing, I'm sure, is a variation of what many other companies in that space are, are faced with. And uh, it's basically everybody pulling together in times of crisis uh, for a full path situation. They have a, a Slack channel where they had a list of emergency procedures and contacts and everything. Uh, that's already been there, though, because Israel gets attacked and has had other crises. It was there during COVID, and they just pulled that um, into action when when the Hamas attacks happened. And so they're following those things closely. They're looking out for spouses and family. They're handling babysitting. They're, they're filling in when they need to, and, and they're getting the job done. Molly, you spoke for your story with Daniel Burrell. He's the CEO of Re-Automotive, which is an automaker in Israel. You talked about how he's trying to balance his own duties to his business while also, again, dealing with this emotional toll of all of it. I think it is by every means our responsibility to make sure that the ship is steady. One for our investors, of course, but also for ourselves. You have to go back to a certain routine. Mm -hmm. You can't stay at home, watch the telly all day long, see all the horrific stories and, and, and drown into to that. It's it's I don't think that's wise. So Molly, talk about the pressure that these companies are under, especially startups, to keep investors happy while trying to steer the ship. Yes. In talking to these companies, you do hear what Mark is articulating, which is this very emotional and stressful period that people are dealing with and you know, navigating loss and attending funerals and and on the flip side of that, you know, feeling a very strong sense of responsibility to basically keep the course and just, you know, continue to live normally. They view this both as a sort of philosophical issue, you know, in the face of a terror attack. And then also, as you said, you know, a necessity for the continuing operations of the business. And largely the companies that we spoke to basically feel that you know savvy investors knew in advance that Israel you know is in a region of geopolitical conflict this macro environment already was not the easiest for, for, for startups you know we're no longer in the SPAC boom of 2020 and 2021 and um essentially despite the turmoil and the personnel issues it doesn't appear that things have changed all that much from an investment and fundraising perspective. Molly, do you have a sense at this point about the ripple effects of this here in the U.S.? Are companies that are based here expecting to have any sort of big challenges directly related to what's happening in Israel right now? It's largely too soon to tell, but the prevailing feeling um, that we got from the companies that we spoke to is that because of these long development timelines for automotive 
the war would have to continue for a lot longer and there would have to be a lot more personnel shortages in order for this to be felt by the average consumer. Um, you know, there are Israeli companies that partner with American auto manufacturers and, you know, and manufacturers that are selling vehicles in the United States, but it's just just too soon to say, you know, this war would have to drag on for much, much longer for the consumer to get a sense of a delay or a lack of a promised feature or something like that. Largely, important timelines are still on track. So other than the personal challenges, just kind of the the horror of the situation and the loss of their employees, of course, to military duty, what are some of the other significant business challenges that these companies are facing on a practical level because of the war? Daniel Burrell of Ree did point out that on the public markets, there has been some volatility, you know, especially in the days immediately following the war. Indexes tracking the stock price of Israeli companies did decline. It's not clear whether the declining stock price in the days following the war was a sort of political statement or whether it was just a reflection of the uncertainty from, from uh, you know, retail investors. And Mark, you spoke with maybe, I guess, just the handful of auto retail tech companies that are in Israel right now. How are they adapting at this point? And what, what are the other challenges that they're facing? Well, it, it's more a question of, of keeping things going because this is not going to be a sprint. It's a marathon. And one of the great things is I think a lot of the auto industry, and, and in particular for the ones I spoke to, the auto dealership customers have been very supportive of sending messages of encouragement, making postings uh, of support, and that, you know, that kind of thing. One thing that's interesting is because of the mandatory conscription in Israel, everyone has been touched by this conflict, whether they know someone who um, was affected by the initial October 7th attacks or whether they have family or friends that have been called up to the reserves or whether they have children that are um, you know, doing their two years of mandatory conscription. At this time, it's, it's clear that for such a small country and, and for a country that has such a sizable population, tied to startups. Um, you know, automotive tech is feeling this um, emotionally, if not logistically. And it, it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out, depending on the length and the the interruption of the war. Okay, Molly Boygan, tech and innovation reporter for Automotive News, and Mark Holmer covering dealers and retail technology for us at Automotive News. Thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to join us on Daily Drive and your incredible work covering this really, really important story. Thanks again. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News journalists David Phillips and Audrey LaForest for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Penske Automotive Group CFO Shelley Holgrave. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.